guys, this is Jill and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. We are at our all-star break fan roundtable and I am joined by returning guests, Trevor and Meg Lou. And so um, thank you guys. Oh, there goes Gracie. See, as soon as I start, she goes, <laughs> never fails. Um, welcome back, guys. And thank you for joining me on this uh, little all-star breakdown. But we will start off with the first question of the day, and it will be, give me your thoughts or your breakdown of the first 50 plus games of the season so far. Likes, dislikes, surprises, anything like that. Take it away. I made like a little list of what were kind of my favorite things um, so far. Um, so the win, the first win over Golden State was a big deal, I thought. Um, that was one that really stood out for me. The 153 points against uh, the Nets was big. Um, the Band-Aid. I thought the Band-Aid whole thing with the Band-Aid was hilarious and fun. And Rissé was like such a funny, good sport about it. And, um, and it was so like symbolic of the Kings, like not getting any calls, being treated kind of like crap by the ref up until that point. And so I thought it was just a really good kind of allegory for how the season had gone so far. And then it kind of, you know, energized the fans around the team. And so I love that. Um, I've The wins versus good teams have been great. Like the Cavs win. I think, like, we've looked outclassed in certain, you know, matchups. I've actually enjoyed the back-to-back -back series, which, because we usually win the second game. I wish we won the first game too, but that hasn't always happened. Um, and then for me, obviously, like sharing the ball, passing the ball, the ball is power kind of stuff. The fact that like on any given night, it could be any guy who has 30 points. You know, it's not just De'Aaron or Domas. Um, it's kind of been spread all around that some of the star. And then just the fact that they're all stars now. Those are Those are definitely my highlights, I think, so far. That's a very good rundown. Um, yeah, just kind of overall vibe from the first 50 uh, some odd games. I I mean, it's hard to get <laughs> expect much more than what we've gotten. Um, you know, just really, I mean, I think coming into the season, we had said, like, we just want to see a, a, a fun product on the on the court. Um, and, you know, if that means wins or not, you know, whatever, we just wanted to enjoy the games. And uh, not only did we get the fun product, but we actually got some wins that came along with it. Like we actually got the record, the good record to go with the good play. Um, and I mean, I what I do really like is, you know, sometimes you see when a team is built around like one star player and you're kind of like, well, yeah, we're all kind of, you know, sitting on the shoulders of this one guy. Um, I mean, and obviously Sabonis and Fox have done so much. So there are a huge part of what we've done, but um this team is, I mean, it really does feel like a team. I mean, and, and top top down, like uh, not just, you know, the roster itself, but, um, you know, just the coaching staff, the front office, like it all just kind of came together this season. I mean, even with the fans, sometimes it feels like the fans are like a little bit of a, of a player just in that they bring that extra um, element. And, you know, when the team's, you know, falls behind early at home and, and, you know, kind of brings them back. So it really just feels like all the vibes are just, you know, in the most positive direction, um, you know, all at once, like it all clicked. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like a championship team this season, but it, uh, everything we could have asked for as far as like getting thing on, things onto the right track are, are all clicking on, on all cylinders. Um, highlights, I um, probably the two of the games that I went to that I just like stand out the most, um, is the, the game against the jazz where, uh, Kevin Herter hits that three at the end. That is probably like the one moment that stands out for me just because it was so loud in there. Like it, and I, I didn't go to too many games at Arco just cause it was so hard to get seats, um, or get tickets back then. Um, and I was, you know, in high school, but it was, uh, it was just the, the that level it, it kind of hit me all at once i was like i think golden one center has officially like found its moment you know and it's found it's it's you know the, the thunder's back um 
And it was just, I mean, especially the way that play um, kind of played out where they were, you know, they were down and they were desperate for a shot, you know, missed a couple of easy layups and got the rebound. It was just like so much anticipation. So when that shot hit, <laughs> I feel like so many times at Golden One Center, you would have this moment where you're like, oh man, the, the roof would just fall off this place. If only they hit that shot and they never hit it. Uh, so this was like the one time where it's like it actually they actually hit the shot and just the whole place went crazy. Um, so that was a real exciting moment. And then um, and then that Brooklyn Nets game was also just wild because every single thing was just going their way. And it was just like sitting there almost like a dream. Like, is this happening right now? We're on national TV. We're not like making a fool out of ourselves. Like, you know, Kevin Durant is on the other end and he's getting like, you know, embarrassed out of the gym. It, you know, it's like, how is this? Terrence Davis has turned into like, you know, <laughs> uh, LeBron James for one night. Like it was just crazy, uh, and it was just we. I was there with a couple friends, and we just had so much fun there. So those are definitely some of the the moment highlights. But in general, I'm just really pleased with the direction of the team and and how it's kind of all clicking. Yeah, especially for that to be what the one TNT game of the season, and it was almost a year to the date that the SNL skit of the Kings playing. The Nets happened and they had the Kings like, what was it? 107 to like zero or something. And it was like throwing fans in. Right. I can't think of the guy's name at the moment, but I know I was trying to remember his name, too. But that was yeah, that was like perfect timing. And it's just funny, too, because it's the one national game that we got. It's like, give us more national games. The time we're like, well, we have one more left on ESPN and that (laughs) one got taken away. So I still like that's still wild to me that that we were at the seed we were in and had games taken away. And yet you still see these big name teams that are not doing anything and don't have their stars and they don't get any games taken away. In fact, they've had games added. So it's it's wild. Um, I saw someone actually sent me uh, an article before I got on um, that they wrote an article on small market teams and the percentage of like national games they get. And the Kings were at like six percent. Um and so, I mean, I was surprised he was even that high because um, I think they and, counted and the NBA. Like they counted NBA the NBA TV, TV games, yeah. yes. Um, which even then, not everybody gets. So it's, um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, agree on that. Um, let's see what are some of the others. I will say, like one thing that to me has seemed noticeably, noticeably different is. Normally, even when this team, like we've had some games where it's like, oh God, is this going to be a blowout? Like, is this team going to give up? Are the heads are the heads going down? Like we're just used to seeing 16, right? 16 years of teams being like, all right, we're phoning it in for the rest of the game. We're not even going to do it. Um, why does Coach Brown still have these guys in in the third quarter and they're down 30 points? Well, it's because they came back and won the game. That's why he still has them playing. Um, and so there's been multiple games where I just think there's like can they do it? Are they going to do it? They're kind of clawing back and then they somehow, you know, find a way. And that's just something that's been different um, big time to to years past. I think someone actually did a thing where it was the Kings actually had the least amount of games resulted in blowouts. Um, and they are like one of the, the leading teams of where um, of like close games. And so they've been in everything. Um, you know, they're not getting blown out. Yes, they've had some blowouts of of other teams, but I think we see that too based on I know we all watch other teams games, but I watched one last night where there was a 30-point lead in the third quarter and with 2 minutes left to go, it was a 4-point game. So, I mean, it's it's just see it's the we're not we still we're used to it, but we're not used we're we're not used to it, but we're used to it like it's still weird to see when you think that it's just that easy to come back from 30-point games now, but um, there's a whole like Twitter account designated to um, like not your team or not my team or whatever. And it's like every night there's a team coming back from a blowout um, with like just over a quarter left. And so um, it's been nice to see this team never giving up. Um, they kind of have taken that attitude of, you know, we're never out of a game, which I appreciate. Um they've seemingly really bought in right to what Monty and coach Brown are are trying to do here. You know, even the Sabonis interview in the athletic today, he was talking about how excited he was just to represent Sacramento. And 
out of all his all-star appearances, this is his most favorite so far because it's from here and he knows how much it means to the city and the fans and that he's excited he can represent this. And it's something he wants to do, like he said, you know, for the rest of his career, essentially. Um, So that was, you know, nice to hear from him that again, he referenced to the point where it was like, I want to be here. And it sounds like the only way I'm not going to be here is if they trade me. Cause he referenced how, uh, the Suns players didn't want to leave either, but they were sent away. So he knows that it's a business; and it can happen. But um, similar to what we all kind of know that he loves it here, and his family loves it here, that um, he does want to see himself in a Kings jersey for a long time. And so, um, again, that's another exciting thing to me in the first fifty games that you know, like you're selling these players, you know, and Fox like is the same way; like they want to be here. You've heard Herder say he wants to keep building here. Monk, I want to keep building here. Um, all these, you know, guys that you consider part of your core saying they want to keep building this thing out. Um, the coaching staff saying the same thing. So just outside of the games in general, it's nice to not see the drama right on the on the other side. Like we're seeing, you know, we're used to see, around this time last year, the Kings were at 22 wins. And, you know, every other day, it's like you're getting a tweet about some sort of behind the scenes drama that's going on of, um, you know, who's trying to take control and all these things. So it's just nice not being that um, and just being like a normal franchise for 50 50 plus games uh, that we haven't seen in a while. So um, not necessarily totally on the court, but just nice to have like as a whole um, for the organization that that's been a a complete uh, plus and a fave moment of of this season. can you guys think of any other favorite moments that you have? I think you pretty much listed some good ones. I mean, the the Orlando comeback with Fox. I was sick, and so I didn't even see the second half. I taped it and ended up being able to watch it later. Um, but that was probably the first game where I realized, like, holy crap, these guys, like, they're not giving up. Like, okay. I mean, because that was pretty early in the season. And I think it was even, I think it was Sabonis in the Slam Magazine article said that was the game that it changed he felt for the team that it was like, we can do that. Like, it doesn't matter how much we're down. Like, we can do this and we believe in ourselves. So um, I think that was another big one. Keegan hitting all his threes. I mean, that just, you know, proving. I think mine are more, wrong. more general too. Like the fact that we're like seven games over 500, that we're, we have re- winning records and like at home away not in our division or in our division, but not our conference or whatever it is conference, but not division. Yeah. But I mean, oh, to your point right there, the, the Kings and the Clippers are the only two teams in the Western conference that have a winning record at home and away. I mean, that's crazy. Right. And, and our point differentials really good. I mean, those are like Hubie Brown kind of milestones of like being over 500, having a good point differential. I know those are kind of an old school thought process, but I still think they work. I still think they apply. And yeah, I just think, I guess also the other kind of really general one is I think most of our role players have exceeded expectations. I mean, there's some that obviously have not or have not gotten the chance to. Um, But, you know, I think you could even make the case that like Chemezi has like put in some good minutes when he's been... Um, you know, allowed to. He's had some some bad minutes too, but I mean, or Trey Lyles. I mean, guys that I didn't totally expect to be really good functional parts of the team have stepped up. And that's one of my favorite things is I love rooting for underdogs. That's a lot of the reason why I'm a Kings fan is I like the long shot, you know? So um, yeah, I just think, like you said, it's like gumption, and and it's, you know, they have really showed grit in like many of the game time situations. And then as a group, they've been, they've gotten better and better and better. So I'm hoping that continues down the stretch. Um, but so far they exceeded like every expectation I had. So. Yeah. When you look at last year's record at this time, 22 and 38. They're full 10 games up at 32 and 25. Like we say, just to end the season, how hard it is to get like a 10 game swing. I mean, they have it, you know, what is it? 50, was it 57 games through the season? Um, I mean, so that's just incredibly impressive in itself. I mean, like you said, like 
keep it going, you know, for these next 25. But again, what they've been able to do to this point, I mean, a 10 game swing through 57 games is damn impressive. Yeah. And, and to that point, too, about, you know, thinking about Chemezi, it made me think, um, you know, obviously the team still has some some holes and, you know, isn't as deep as it could be. But um, I, I think looking at the depth this season compared to previous years, uh, just having like essentially, you know, uh, two teams worth of um, competent players that can actually are uh, are good enough to take a floor in an NBA game, um, you know, having eight to 10 players that you feel comfortable being out there every night, getting like rotational minutes. Um, I mean, really, I think they have more than that, but those are, I mean, those are just the ones who are playing. Um, I think has made a big difference because I was thinking back to the start of the year and I think a lot of us probably forget, but like the first five or six games of the year, I think uh, Sabonis was like really bad. Like, and everybody was like, oh, it was all back to the trade again. And everybody was just like <laughs> losing their minds. We were 0-4 and he was just kind of like, a, I don't even know if bad is the right word, but he was starting really slow. And uh, Malik Monk also was started really slow. And then it was pretty much when I think those two started to take off is is really when the team started to take off. And then since, you know, throughout this year, I feel like there's always like one, at least one player at one point who's struggling, um, as is going to happen in an NBA season. And before that used to be like the death sentence. It's like, well, everybody's got to be, you know, clicking on all cylinders every night if you know, buddy misses shots one, you know, one night we're done. Or, you know, if um you know, De'Aaron's not ready to play 40 minutes a night, you know, we're done. Now it's kind of like, well, so-and-so can have a, a bad stretch for two weeks and, you know, somebody else just took their place and and kind of filled in the void. And that's kind of what it seems like this team's doing. I mean, it's really that like next man up mentality or, you know, the whole, like, I got your back thing. Uh, it's really, it really seems to translate on the court. Like, there's never a time really where all of them are struggling once. Like we're all, you know, 10 guys are just playing badly. Like there might be one or two that are going through something, but then there's one or other, one or two others that are having a really hot stretch. And it's kind of how it's just kind of played out. So you're not relying on everybody to have a hot hand, but you're also not having anybody that's like the whole team, not cold at once. Like somebody's at least contributing. And even the people that are having cold shooting are still finding ways to contribute in other ways. Like, you know, Kevin Herter has been struggling with the shot for like a couple months now, but he's doing all kinds of other things, uh, rebounding better and, you know, scoring at two pointers and, um, you know, just keeping everything moving. Um, and when Keegan Murray was struggling, you know, he was picking up his rebounding, even though he wasn't hitting as many shots and it made him, uh, valuable enough to keep on the floor. So I think just having that kind of, um, roster where you can afford to have a couple of guys kind of struggling, um, and not bringing the team down with it has been big. Yeah. And then even to the point too, where they also accept coaching, right? Like you see it during the game where Brown can get in their face or be teaching or something, but they're taking it in and they're not taking it in a bad way. Like they've all said, they understand it. It's coming from a place of love. And I know you can do this. And like, you know, you need to do it. We need you to do it. Like, you know, let's figure it out. But um, for anyone that didn't read the Sabonis interview today with Athletic with Sam Amick, what you said something that made me think of it, Trevor, was that the how the beginning of the season Sabonis kind of struggled. He mentioned something in that article about um, he was saying that this wasn't a bad thing, but him and Brown had to learn each other at the beginning. And he said when he came in, like, and that during the coaching search, he had some strong ideas of what he thought, you know, so this is Sabonis of how he should be used and things like that. And he said that, and, and Brown had an idea, his own idea of how he thought that, that Sabonis should be used. And he said it kind of clashed a little bit, but the fact that they grew that trust in each other and Sabonis was saying like, I had to prove I could do this to be like, Hey, I can do this. And he's like, and then Jordy came from Denver working with, you know, Jokic, like, so that it's, he knew, you know, by, you know, we always say like a, a Jokic light, like, right. That a, a, he's a joker light. Um, but that he said that he could see the difference in Brown as he saw Sabonis doing things and that Brown didn't stay hard headed and know I want it to be this way. Cause this is how I want it. It's like, no, I'm trusting you now. And he said, in like watching game film, he said, that he'd started pointing it out more and saying, good job. And, you know, keep doing this and this thing. And so he said like that 
And again, he emphasized none of it was ever bad. It was, you know, because he said, I've gone through this with every coach. And he's like, you know, and sometimes you forget. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we got to go through this again. But he was like, it's a it's a building, you know, piece to each other and you learning each other and you learning to trust each other. And he's like, and I went out there and showed it, you know, why I deserve this trust. And then there were things that Brown wanted where Sabona said, I had to then learn how to trust him and know that that was, you know, the best for me in these scenarios. And so it was nice hearing that kind of, you know, interconnectivity type type thing. And then, um, because we've had coaches where would not be receptive to that. And we've had players that would not be receptive to that um, and would close off pretty quick if it's, you know, wasn't what they wanted. So um, again, I thought that was nice to kind of read in here, but, and, and it went to your point of you're seeing that kind of from everybody you're seeing that trust. And then that in, in their, in the players and the coaching staff um, in themselves. All right, so we'll go next to um, what are your guys' thoughts on the deadline and are there any buyout candidates that strike your fancy? I think uh, I was probably pretty conservative. I'm pretty conservative, like naturally when it comes to trades. And um, and I just wasn't as high on some of the, you know, guys that were being talked about. Like, I don't, I you know, I don't think Mason Plumley is going to save us or that we even necessarily want to play 48 minutes of center hub basketball. Like I don't, you know, I think changing it up and having a different look at center is kind of a good thing. Personally, I feel like our main weakness is small forward. I don't think we have a natural small forward. So my, you know, the guys that I liked most were like Matisse. I like Vanderbilt because I think you could get away with playing him at three defensively. Um, and you could swap him out as a small ball center. I think he's pretty versatile. Um, so those were my two top guys. And then like Naz Reed, who didn't get moved anyways. Um, and there was one other that I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, I mean, I love Jay Crowder. Um, but I know it's complicated. Like he hasn't played all year and who knows what that, what that is. And he wanted to go to a contender and all that kind of stuff. But I just loved him because the first year the Suns were good. He would tell DeAndre Ayton where to be on the floor. Like he would always be on the floor with DeAndre and he would always tell him exactly where to go. So I just think he's a really smart basketball player and he's like a thick dude and we never have a thick dude, you know, like. Um, we need more thick dudes. <laughs> so if that ever happens, that'll be nice. But I mean, I wasn't like upset or I, I really don't think like that was going to like bring us to some new like height of, you know, like, oh, we're definitely going to be the first seed now or anything like that. Like, I love Matisse. Yeah. I mean, I think his defense would have helped us. Would he have gotten us more than like two more wins? I don't know. Like, not that, you know, and like a lot of these guys, I think, depending on what happens with the teams they went to, I think they may be available anyway in the off season. And again, depending on what kind of money they want and all that stuff, like there might be better options available in the off season too. And a lot of it just hinges for me on the Harrison Barnes thing, whether he stays or we, you know, try and quote upgrade him in the off season. So that's my long-winded take on the on the uh, trade deadline. Yeah, and to your point too, before you go, Trevor, too, where you mentioned the off season, something too that I don't know if people have noticed that the Pacers pick is getting a lot better. And this is something that we know Monty tried to do last year was jump back into the first, right? Like he tried to get Malachi, um, and the Spurs ended up taking him. It was a no. Um, I don't know what he offered, but I know he did try and go get back in there for him. So. You know, having a high 30s pick paired with other things could be opportunity to even maybe try and jump back in. Um, you know, I, when when you think about yeah. all of these seconds and not using them, you know, there could be ways where you could have more options now, maybe that you wouldn't have. You just, we, just, I think we don't you can know. Look but... around at the rookies this year too and see the guys. Like, I think everybody, you know, there's like, that saying of like, well, you never find guys in the 20s, like, who cares about those picks or whatever. 
like the championship teams always pick there. They always find guys. They're always like lauded for getting, oh, that guy is such a Spurs guy. That guy is such a Bucks guy, whatever. Like, would I want Marjan Beauchamp on our team? Yeah. Like, that's a great fucking pick, you know, excuse my language. But, or I mean, look at Walker Kessler. I mean, if you could even get into like 22, 23, I think you could solve a rim protector problem and bring someone along kind of slowly and, you know, who knows like where Oscar Chishibwe or whatever is going to go. Like, I just think there's guys there that so far, you know, and I, I'm still a Davion fan. So I'm saying this, you know, with that in mind, I think that Monty is a great talent evaluator in the draft. And so I think he can get something good in those middle rounds and even early second round and even maybe late second round, you know, depending on how much development that needs. I love Keon too. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I've, <laughs> it's funny cause I think we might be like, I feel like we're not an accurate representation in here of like, at least what I've seen on King's Twitter. Cause it, it was a blaze during the deadline, but, um, I, I feel the same way. I, I wasn't, I, I didn't necessarily have high expectations. Um, just you know, realistically thinking, we don't have a whole lot of valuable pieces that we're willing to part with. Um, I know sometimes Monty's gotten creative and uh, been able to, you know, woo some GMs into some stuff. But I, for the most part, you know, I think it's also different when you're actually a a decent team. Um, you know, some of the teams that are um, that you might be working with are, are teams that might be, you know, trying to um, compete with you, you know, like the Timberwolves, uh, for example, like they might still be trying to move up in the, the, um, the draft or sorry, up in the seating. So like, they're not going to want to give us anybody for a draft pick. Cause they're, that's going to help us right now. Um, and just in general, I, you know, I, 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 yes, we have some um, pieces that are missing, <laughs> uh, some, uh, areas that need improvement. And so it would have been nice to, to add some depth there and, and improve the team. Um, but I, I just don't think it would have been worth giving up anything of, of value or significance, um, for the right deal, maybe. Um, but overall, I, I do think that there's going to be more going on this off season. Um, and at that point, you also will have a better idea of your team. Um, you will see if these, these, players are, you know, what they've seemed to have been so far this year as this most important games come around the potential postseason, you'll see if, you know, some of these players maybe crumble under the pressure or maybe rise to the occasion. Um, you know, there's still guys like uh, Keon Ellis and 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 maybe Keita that may have a way of contributing at some point this year, um, you know, another 30 games or so to see if they might work their way into the rotation. I mean, Ellis looks like he's kind of starting to work his way in a little bit. Um, and maybe if, you know, if he can become a, a member of the rotation then maybe next season, that's a, a cheap way you can get away with a, a backup three. And then now you don't have to go out and pay for one. Um, and so, and I think this is something that we had kind of talked about a little bit on, on Twitter. Um, but basically I think Monty won the off season. Um, and I think when you win the off season, it gives you the ability to be a little, play it a little bit safer during the season. Um, I think a lot of these other big moves, I mean, granted, like getting Kevin Durant is awesome, uh, regardless of the situation, but some, some moves do are a little bit out of like desperation. Like I really screwed up the off season. I need to make a big splash and maybe give up some pieces to make something happen just to save our season and, and give us a chance and get the fans back on our side and all that sort of thing. Um, Monty already did that. So, I mean, not to say mission accomplished and <laughs> hang up your banner and call it a day, but it's a little bit less of a, a dire situation. He had a goal to have a, a playoff team, um, uh, and, you know, a team that's you know going to bring fans back in and be exciting to watch. And for the most part, he's done all that. And uh, at least that's where the direction it's going in. And now he just has to see it play out. And then next, uh, uh, once the offseason comes, he can reevaluate there, um, see who's available in free agency. Now you've made Sacramento a, a little bit more of a attractive destination. We're not, you know, there's some people who are probably just never going to come here, but at least the people like Sabonis that are just coming to see, like, they want to play basketball for a good fan base with some talented players. Now you have two all-stars, you have this crazy culture, you know, with the beam and everything. 
And then um, just in, you know, that that's enough to draw in, I think, a lot of players, maybe not the superstars, but players that are going to make your team significantly better um, for the you know next season. OK, and then regarding um, buyout candidates, um, first of all, I, I'll, I will say if we'll see if Dougie McCormick's available. I finally found his name. It was driving me crazy what his name was from the SNL skit uh, or Alicia Miller. That was the other one. Um, we'll see if either of them's available. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I was looking at a list of, of buyout candidates, you know, some of these articles that go around. And it's just funny seeing some of the names that are are triggering, like <laughs> Dwayne Dedman. And um, there, I even saw like Frank Kaminsky on one list. I'm like, is that even worthy of a considered a buyout candidate? Like, I don't know. But um, I was like, he, he couldn't even crack our roster when we were bad. So um, but I, I don't know. I, I think. Someone like a Kevin Love would be awesome, but I don't think that's even like a um, possibility. But he he does seem like he would fill a role. Um, when I think about what we need there, I think about like obviously just probably just bench players and and you know it's like you could go for someone to provide some defense, which we need. Um, but at this point, it's like do we even try to put someone in for fifteen minutes of defense, or do we just go all in and make the the bench offense as good as the starting offense? Um, and you know to kind of cover for when people are out. Um, I don't know. I, I think if I had to, um, mention someone, I, I would probably say like Will Barton seems like somebody that has some, um, you know, playoff experience and, uh, his numbers are a little bit down this year with, uh, was he with the wizards, I think. Um, and so I, I don't know what we can necessarily expect out of him, but, um, I, you know, just kind of that caliber of player that's had, you know, been around and can provide something on the court and probably something off the court, you know, somebody like that, I think would be ideal. Um, more, mostly, I think my list of buyout candidates, I have a lot of no's <laughs> as yeses. I could cry, go either way on, but there are some people that I'm like, eh, I'm good, <laughs> you know? Um, so I could give you that list, but as far as, um, potential buyout candidates. I, I'm pretty open just to seeing, you know, taking a flyer on anybody um, that could maybe help the team. But um, there there are, are a few people that I would probably <laughs> say like, I'm good on that one. Um, but I, I, I won't, I won't insult those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to your point for Will Barton, I think too, is part of it was they have so many wings and they were kind of prioritizing the young guys to see what they had. You saw them end up making trades and things like that. And so um, whether it be age or, you know, at this point in his career or that, um, but experience wise, it sure seems like he could come in and give you 10 minutes if you needed it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Being on Denver all that time. I mean, he's been in those big time situations and would know. So I agree there. Um, when it comes out to the deadline itself, I know most people know, like I was a huge, like I've wanted Vando on this team for like two plus years. Um, and having him back with Fox would have been really cool. Fox is one of his best friends. He mentored him before Vando went to Kentucky. Like it just would have been a cool story. And he fitted like a need that this team had. And Amick was on um, 1140 this morning with Carmichael Dave and it almost even hurt worse because he was like the Kings thought they again, it was another one where the Kings thought they had him. It was very similar to the Kuzma thing. The Kings thought they had Vando like and this was before all the crazy trades went on. Right. So no one was offering four, four second rounders, five or anything like that. It was they could have had him for two. Like that was that was what was being talked about. But then when again, when the other teams came in, the opportunity to move Beasley, to move Vando and to move Connolly. Why we help these big name teams, I don't know. But it was essentially like, okay, well, we were going to work this with you, but now we're going to do the bigger deal. And it was one of those things where Sam was like, I mean, I you can criticize him, I guess, for not getting the guy, but you're also not in those phone calls. And they're very well, like, could have been nothing that could have been done. Like, you you know, that it was just the opportunity to move those pieces Um was just too good. And they got Jones, Damien Jones back who they were playing and they got Juan Toscano Anderson who they're playing. The Kings weren't throwing any of that stuff out there. So, and that becomes to the point too, where then what else would they have come back with and offered? You have people saying, well, why didn't you throw out these picks and that? And if they threw out a first, you probably would have had people complaining they threw out a first. They send Davion, you right. You would have had people complaining they sent Davion. They would have had people complaining they sent Davis. Like there's always going to be complaining about something but I'll stick with what Sam said was 
we can critique all we want, but we don't even know 25% of the conversations that are had. It's really easy to say, oh, you throw throw one more second round pick and the deal gets done. But that's not how it totally always works, that it's there's much more nuance to it. So I think just like... When you're going through this, remembering that um, it just sucks that twice Westbrook was part of a trade that we thought we had somebody and then going to it. The same thing James Ham said, they thought they had Thibel 30 minutes prior to that deal being completed and they did it. So, I mean, I guess if you're going to criticize Monty for anything, it's thinking you have someone and then you don't like you have to. I don't, I don't, again, we don't know those conversations. So I don't know if the other team said like, yeah, we're good. Like we don't need to have any more conversations. Like we're good. And then someone else swoops in and then you're not even given an opportunity to even maybe come back with something. They could have just said, oh, we're moving on. And he could not, maybe there wasn't even an opportunity for him to say, oh, well, what if I do this? Like, would you take this instead? So again, we just don't know. So as much as I'm kind of upset, we didn't get those guys. I still understand that there's a lot more than we ever, you know, are ever told and we'll ever know. Um, And then that's kind of the same thing I felt where you were talking about Meg with um, Crowder. I felt that same way about Josh Richardson and he was doing it yesterday with the Pelicans against the Lakers, pointing people out that I want you to go here. I want you to do this. Same kind of thing where he was another one where he could play point guard through um, small forward. So it just would have been a, extra depth at all three of those positions if you ever ever needed it down um down the stretch and he could play defense so but again like you mentioned all these guys are available right in the offseason so yes you didn't get your kind of head start in trying to sell them on this place but finish out the season doing what you're supposed to be doing and that can be just as much of an audition as anything else i mean they could end up hating where they you know where they got sent to and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be and you know, I kind of like what this team over here is doing something. Um, and that just to think, too, that none of us thought the Kings would be in this position of where they are right now. And so I can understand Monty being like, we're where we wanted to be without having to give anything up. I'm still trying to shore up step two, step three, step four. And I think, Meg, you even mentioned this. The move I didn't make today could set up the move, you know, two moves from now. Um, I know we all hate like the wait and see, but sometimes the move not made ends up being the best thing that you could have done for the next move that's that's now available in the off season or next trade deadline. Um, so or draft. I night. mean that's yeah. I mean, I, to me, like that. So okay, reading Jerry's book, the Reynolds remembers book. He has like a whole section where he talks about like deals that they made or mistakes that they made but then that led to like other deals like two years down the road and like they didn't know that was going to happen at the time but it was part of establishing a relationship with another gm is a totally different time right so it's a different situation but anybody who thinks that like mitch kupchak would do the same deal with Monty that he would do with Jerry West just doesn't know very much basketball history. I mean, in my opinion, like they have an established relationship, you know, they're each, they know exactly what the other one's trying to do. And to me, if you're a GM, you always make the deal with Jerry West. Jerry West is Jerry West. Like, I agree. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, I know a lot of people have gotten like, hey, the never too high, never too low thing has never meant more to me than this season. Like people really have bottomed out on weird stuff, in my opinion, you know, or topped out on also some weird stuff. So well, I mean, I just, you look at how people were last deadline to now. I mean, right. For a lot of people, the sky was falling and look where they are now. I mean, so you yeah. just don't know. Right. You just don't know. So, yeah. I, I totally agree. And so that's more my frustration after everyone and lost. It's like, okay, we're back to this again. Like, is this what we're going to do the rest of the season? Like, can't we just enjoy what we're doing right now? Like, none of us thought we'd be here. I get it. But like, can we, this is our team. Can we move on with our team and, you know, um, go as is? Yeah, that's what I was, but, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's kind of like, it, it, there's no reason to keep harping on it. Like, yeah, like it would have been cool to get like, you know, a 
a Vanderbilt even like, you know, that would have been great, but like it, even as good as he is, you know, and as much as he could probably contribute, um, it's like, you know, maybe it gets it's not like they turned down Kevin Durant. <laughs> right. It's like, this wasn't, you know, like, and these are like, you know, for sack, these are like big moves, you know, but like, really is anybody else looking at this going to be like, are you going to really, you know, lose your mind over the fact that we missed out on Vanderbilt? Like, you know, let's all cry and uh, for, you know, take our two minutes and cry out that the Lakers screwed us over again on a, on a deal. Yeah, and we weren't the only teams that missed out on him. Like there were other Philadelphia, there were other contenders that were trying to do it too. So it wasn't like Monty was the clown in the situation. Like he might've been the closest, but there were very much other contending teams that missed out, you know, and, and didn't get it. I mean, so. for them too, I think the primary goal was to get off Conley's deal. Right. I mean, and they only yeah. had like four, $4 yep. million dollar contracts that were even movable. So it sets them up it for next year. That it was Vanderbilt. It thought the money had to work for the trades to work. Yep. And if your main goal is to get off the big money old guy, which it should be in a rebuilding team, then you do that. Right. So, I mean, I specifically looked up their cap sheet because I was like, okay, well, how does this make sense? Would we have had a chance? But they don't have, like, the Lakers aren't going to take back Rudy Gay. Like he's washed. So, you know, I mean, it, it's just, you have to, you have to think about all the different levels of it too, especially from the GM standpoint, he has to look at the money. He has to function under the cap. Right. And I know people have like gone overboard on that too, but it is, you know, we're not going to go into the luxury tax to have, um, you know, an okay team. Like that doesn't make sense. So anyways, yeah, and I mean, even that, with the Spurs one with Josh Richardson, it was the same thing. They didn't want to take on Holmes' money. Like, I get it. You can't force it. Like, that's yeah. that's the money that would have had to match. And I don't yeah. blame him for not wanting it. Like money. Like, right. that's because that's, he's he's probably going to opt into his player option, right? I still love Rashawn. I'm not, I'm not down on him. But also, like, that's one thing to note. Josh Richardson is great. He makes $12 million a year. So... Right. He, he's not in the same money conversation that most of these other guys are where they're making like four, four and a half million. You know, I know that's not that big of a deal for one year. Um, and I don't know how many if if Josh Richardson expires. He's after ex- this he, year. he expires. This was his last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he they was, didn't want to take money on. And that was the thing is they got seconds yeah. for him and they're not taking any, any extra money going into next year and the year after, which is what would have happened here. So, yeah. yeah. So it's complicated. I, the buyout, I wanted to say to, yeah, I have the same. I just, my only two guys would be Will Barton or um, Sean Cunningham sort of sold me on Stanley Johnson Stanley the Johnson. other night. Yep. Yep. Um, the other guys like... No, I don't really want Patrick Beverly or Nerland Snow out. Not that they're not fine, but like, I guess the other consideration that I have about all of these conversations is like, where are you finding these minutes, right? Like you're bringing in the specific player type. If you bring in a three, you're displacing one of the guards, right? You're moving those minutes around again. So that means you're not playing TV or you're playing Malik less, or you're playing Davion even less. or So it's like it gets really complicated. And I feel like to a certain extent to what um, Trevor said earlier, like we kind of know these players better than Mike Brown does to a certain extent. Like I feel like we have a better concept of who Rashawn Holmes is. Um, And I'm not capping on Mike Brown for not using him more, but I'm just saying like I feel like us as fans who have watched him for two to three years just know his game. We know he's a pick and roll guy. We we would know exactly how to use him. Mike Brown has had this entire team on his plate of figuring out, like you said, from DeMontis down, who are these guys? And that's a process. And, and developing that know, trust. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to criticize, um, brown at all but i feel like there's useful pieces that already aren't getting minutes right so yeah and i um, i do wonder if the metu piece is he's very familiar with metu and that trust could be there and i know i think it was james that even that mentioned on d'lo and casey show that um he had the honest conversation with metu like when he sat him for that time like if you're not changing this like 
it's like it's done. Like we can't afford to wait around and find out. And so to me, it, it almost seems like he's giving that extra leash because they do. He has that trust with them, you know, through years, which we see with coaches and teams all over that there are guys that that trust is just there. Um, will that end up changing? I guess we'll find out. But to your point, I think that that is kind of where he's going. Yeah, let's let's hope. I mean, you know, even if they even if he runs these guys ragged into the playoffs and then sees what they can do, though, I think that in itself is progress, right? Because they get there exhausted. They have to like, you know, the, the Stephen Marbury get to the next level, to the next level, to the next level thing. And so, I mean, he can then judge what levels they have. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm going to guess that De'Aaron Fox is just an awesome freaking playoffs player. But I would have guessed that about, like, Kyle Lowry, too. So who really knows? You know, a lot of these guys we have not seen in that situation yet. So I, I really think that is going to be... Um, is going to have some influence on roster decisions in the future, I guess, is how I would put it. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, to go back to the article today from Sabonis, he mentioned specifically the Suns, this last Suns game and the loss. And he said that after the game, they all came back, you know, in high spirits, like, yeah, they lost, but it's like, okay, like the next 25 we know this is how it's going to be. We know like we're not satisfied. We know every game's going to feel like a playoff game. We might have been to the playoffs individually, but we haven't had this experience together and and to you know to learn each other in these kind of high pressure situation um circumstances, but that that was kind of game one of like between Dallas and Phoenix. Here we go guys. And and that we're coming back ready and and we can do this. And so to your point, like that experience in itself, I think I agree with you. That can be huge going forward with this core group. Yeah. And one thing I'll say to that, too, is um, that's one thing I'm really encouraged by with this team is how during those back to back scenarios, they've won the second game every time. I know I think two of them or two or three of them, they also won the first. But um, I feel like that kind of um, they make good adjustments. And I think that bodes well for something like a playoff series. Um, you know, not to say they're going to, you know, go really super far in the playoffs, but I think they that bodes well for not necessarily getting swept and, and maybe making competitive no matter who you play is. And you may ultimately lose the next game too, but I, I think you'll see what went wrong and, and the coaching staff will make some plans and, and the players will come out with a better game plan the next day. Um, and so I'm hoping that there are some more back-to-backs coming up that are very important um, as the season goes on, even before the playoffs. So I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But um, yeah, I think the better roster that you can have to be able to make those adjustments, the better, because sometimes that adjustment might be personnel wise, like this wasn't a good matchup. So next game, we're going to play this other person and, and maybe not completely replace that player, but, you know, uh, distribute the minutes a little bit differently, or, or maybe, um, you, you know, you're not even replacing anybody, but you're having the bench rely on, you know, using the bench a little bit more in the next game. Cause you know, the starters are gassed or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think sometimes when you look at these, thinking about like adding players on, I think a lot of times people kind of look at like, well, who are they going to replace? And rightfully so to a degree, but I think a lot of it is also kind of just like, it's another piece in there to work in for the right matchup. And also if someone gets hurt now, you're not like forcing Davion to start and play 30 minutes and hope he finds some offense. You know, now it's like, well, you know, maybe Davion can continue to be his defensive mind because now we have someone else who can, fill in on the scoring side, you know, so it's just kind of like another weapon in your arsenal, I guess. Um, and really mostly my concern is not running the starters into the ground by the time we hit April, just because, I mean, you can kind of tell sometimes that deer and Fox, I mean, that's what makes it so impressive. Like you can tell he's, he's gassed, you know, he's taking breaks every chance he can get, you know, when the play's not happening, but somehow he just turns it on in the fourth quarter. Um, but he's got to be tired. I mean, especially now with the baby <laughs> and then Sabonis, you know, is just so banged up with the way people, you know, tear him apart on the court. Um, 
And obviously he's got the injury. So anyway, just having that extra depth in there, I think makes a big difference. Yeah. And I know we mentioned, I know you guys mentioned Stanley Johnson. Um, but one thing to me that's interesting about him is you could play him essentially at, from three to five. Like he's one of those where he can be that small ball center, like just because he can play down low with those guys. I mean, you're not going to be throwing him against like Adams necessarily, right? But he can get in there in those kind of small ball situations. But he's also someone that's got a good amount of minutes, you know, for a Spurs team to me where if you're going to keep Len just to have him sit there and he's never going to play, to me, I'd kind of rather take a shot on a younger player who's been playing throughout the season who you might be able to trust to be able to throw in there and you can put him in multiple different positions. Like he's not just slated where like Len is, he can only be that five where a guy like Johnson, he's a little bit more versatile. So you can play him in different scenarios. So to me, and if there's a shot that Len could get picked up somewhere else and actually get some playing time, I feel bad for the guy in the sense that I think he got one start randomly and then you just don't see him. And he's been nothing but a complete pro and a vet and no issues and you don't hear anything about it. But in that sense, if there's something else out there where he could get, you know, a shot to play somewhere else um, and we could, you know, if there's a scenario out there where you could get something and then he has a shot. To me, it seems like it'd be beneficial for for both parties if you could do something like that. Even for, I was a big KZ fan, right, going into this. But he's also been hurt and we just never see the guy either. So to me, could you have KZ? I mean, could you have a guy like Stanley Johnson over KZ who you're not playing and you're not even, and you can't play him in the G League right now because he has something with his knee. Like that it's, I don't know. If there's just other ways that you could kind of work this right now, I think there are multiple roster spot options where you could still fill in some pieces, whether it be a Stanley Johnson or a Barton or something that, that there's ways you could get him in here. I mean, it's just selling, it's selling them on it here. The, <laughs> yeah. They just need some size in there. Like, I mean, I, they need, they need floor spreading size. So I get not playing KZ. I do. I feel the same way. I'm super high on him. Um, and I, I don't mind as much like, um, having offenseless players. I think a part of the problem, you know, for Davion has been that as soon as Fox goes out, his gravity goes out. So it's just really hard to like absorb that gravi- gravity when you're not making shots. So I don't know. It's it's complicated and it's a balancing issue, I think, too. Um, but yeah, I agree. If there is some way, especially a three, to me, like we do not have a three. We've been Basically playing Kessler. Keegan and Kessler. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved his minutes. I try not to get too high on like, you know, two minutes, <laughs> like, or if it even was. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, on the other side of that, though, like, I'm not going to be like upset if they don't get somebody on the buyout market either. Like I said, like, we, I think we also need to trust the guys that have gotten us here. And if they can't, like, hold the fort and, like, get us in the real playoff, then obviously there's changes that need to be made and improvements. You know what I mean? But if they can, like, great and reward them. Like, you know, extend some of them. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I love the thought of being loyal to some of these guys who came in on, like, bargain basement contracts, like, and have totally balled out you know like Trey Lyles I think he hasn't been super consistent but he's been a great role player I mean you know and he's had some fantastic games like I would love to see him back again like depending on what happens with Harrison and all that other stuff but um you know we are where we are because these guys have worked their butts off to get there so I think that that deserves some like recognition and loyalty and um and minutes really, you know, and play time. So I think, I, yeah, I, I think all that is, uh, I agree. Um, and, and, and Stanley Johnson's a great choice too. I, I um, was, um, I should have mentioned him because I, yeah, when, when I saw that he was, he was waived, I, I was kind of looking at him a little bit and I guess he was, I guess the Lakers were trying to get him, but it was because they waived him, not traded him that you can't pick him up for a full season. I believe is how yeah. it worked. And so they literally can't resign him because it hasn't been a full um a full year. I will throw out another name 
and I know like completely random. Um, most people will probably never know who this is, but Terry Taylor and Mike Malone called him. I think he called him a man child like that sure. because he's one of those where he's like a Stanley Johnson type size. But the Pacers last year, because of injuries and stuff, were having to play him at center. And so he is what Meg likes to call. He's a thick boy. He's big. Um, but he can <laughs> he can spread the floor. But like they had him guarding Jokic and he had like 14 rebounds on him. And this is six, six type player. I mean, um, but he's big and he can get in there and and can do it. And so there were other people around the league wondering if someone was going to um, claim him because he is, again, a second year player, but has those intangibles that someone could be looking for. One of the best re- rebounders that by far on this list if you if you need rebounding kings like he is the best rebounder um that's on the buyout market so um just some other you know a random name to throw out there but he i think he was the the shining you know star of like the g league showcase that they just had and all that stuff but he's one where um the last two years was going back and forth and because the pacers were rebuilding um unfortunately because they kept uh Turner, like he ended up being the odd man out when it came to the t- the trade deadline. And they were saying like it was really hard to actually to cut him. But they just I mean, it was once uh, Hill said he was staying like it, you know, they they wanted to do right by him and retire him as a pacer. Um, and so, you know, a developing player, as we've seen, you know, before ends up getting the short end of the stick. But I mean, if you go watch that dude, like make go watch him like you will love him um but i just I love like that he's getting stuff, 14 yeah. he's getting 14 rebounds on on the joker like it's no big deal and well, mike blown was just of, like who is this dude he is awesome it's funny because i almost like the the guys that we're talking about almost fit like a chima maneki mold like chima was also one of the leading rebounders in g league like So I get letting him go for the versatility of having the open roster space. And I get all of the reasoning behind it, but I'm also an Aggie. So it was like pretty disappointing that he didn't work out. Like I was really rooting for him. I watched all of his G League games. I thought he played fantastic. And he's such like an energizer bunny. I know he's not a true three. um, And, but he's sort of like one of those guys who's like a, small forward size but he plays like a center you know and um he gave me like very charles barkley vibes anyways that was like one of my disappointments of the season i guess you know there and there's only been a few so uh poor one out for chimo maneki i guess yeah and he he just went back and signed i don't know if it was the last team he played for but he's already out in Europe playing again and yeah um and having fun so I think he's in France I think he he may be on the same team as Kyle Guy weirdly maybe that I could be wrong about that I haven't tracked that down yet I will eventually though last thoughts on the remaining 25 games of the season what would you what are your desired outcomes of the next 25 mines stay in the top six and make the playoffs. Like, I don't care if you're six, but um, just try not to get the play in. <laughs> like, let's get, a, let's get an actual playoff. Um, so we can say we, we ended this and, uh, and go, but finish 500 and, and be in the top, top six. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, everything so far has exceeded my expectations. So yeah, stay over five, try to play over 500 ball. I mean, if I were going to like elevate those expectations a little bit, I would say maybe try and get a couple more like quality wins against like contender teams. But I'm not even asking for that, like maybe two, you know, Um, like if we could conquer the Suns, like that would be really exciting, I think. Um, Something like that. And, And then beyond that, like, yeah, just try and go 500, try and stay in the top six. Do not, by any stretch of the imagination, let the Lakers catch you, um, which I don't think they can, anyways. But yeah, they uh, have to go. They have to go seventeen and six. If we go one win below five hundred, they have to go seventeen and six to catch us. So again, like if you said, if you stay five hundred, (laughs) like I mean, they have to go eighteen and five. (laughs) I think that's going to be rough. I don't think they're going to stay healthy either. 
that's my hope anyways. But yeah, I mean, so just really, really, like, I would say reasonable hopes and expectations is what I have. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing. Stay on course, you know? Yep, I I agree. I think um, it's funny, everybody going in is once the deadline kind of happened and all the other teams got better, everybody was like, well, let's just stay in the try to stick to the top six. And I'm over here like, no, let's try to get up to two. <laughs> like, well, you know, why not? But uh, no, but realistically, I I mean, I, I guess my sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, ultimate goal, I mean, ultimate goal is yes, just make the playoffs, even if it had to be in the play and like whatever you have to do to actually get into the playoffs to do it. Uh, but I really do want to avoid the play in. So I'm like, please find a way to finish top six. Um, but I would love top four because then it just buys you, um, you know, start start the game off at, you know, start the playoff series at Golden One Center, um, reward the fans, you know, because like, you know, that first playoff game, whenever it happens is going to be nuts. And so I'm like, you know, if it was actually the first game of the playoffs too, like that would be even more like special, I think, as opposed to like, you've already seen two on the road and now they're home. That's cool too. I don't care how it has to be done, but anyway, I'm still kind of like, let's see if we can find a way to not only make the playoffs, but like go all in and get the home court advantage too, for the first round. So um, we'll see. Uh, Conquering the Suns would be awesome though, just because I, you know, we'll see the pending the outcome of tonight, but no team in the Pacific Division has even beaten the Suns this year. It's crazy. They they're like nine and zero. So uh, we'll see if what the Clippers do with them tonight. But that's just crazy to me. It's like wild. So and the in general the the Kings don't have a great record uh, against the teams. I think they're I was looking at earlier five and six. So uh, against the teams in, within their division, even though they're in first place, um, which is kind of crazy. So I would like to see them maybe just play a little bit better against those teams um, that, you know, with the games they have left. I know that I think, the you know, they're they don't have a whole lot left in their division. Um, Even to your point, if you just look at the teams below them, like in the standings, 15 out of their 25 games are against teams that are below them. So like I said, take care of business. Yeah. And you I mean, just doing that alone you're protecting yourself, right? Like you're not yeah. relying on anybody else. Absolutely. Take, you know, control your own destiny and and take care of your business. Then they've been doing that for the most part of the season with like the, the under 500 teams. And, and these are, these teams aren't necessarily under 500, but they are in that sort of <laughs> take care of business mode. Um, so I, yeah, that's what I would love to see. Um, I would like to see them maybe establish a little bit of a home advantage, a home court advantage. Um, the fan base obviously provides the atmosphere of the home court advantage, but I like to see their home record be a little bit better. Um, but their away record is pretty great. So it all evens out at least. Um, and I guess most importantly, I just want to see them really establish like some good, um, uh, you know, some, some good routines and, and maybe a, a good rotation to start thinking about, a, a, you know, t- getting towards a, a playoff series or, or into a postseason. just, finding a rotation that works and um, with the bench minutes, keep building some confidence there and, and maybe, you know, seeing internally what you have, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the coaching staff right now is analyzing, you know, in the front office, they're analyzing all that during this all-star break. And, uh, you know, we'll see when they come back out next week, if, if someone, you know, like a, um, Kessler Edwards starts cracking the rotation, getting some minutes or, or Keon Ellis or, um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens, but just seeing like, you know, everyone was disappointed that we didn't have a, a new, um, player to, you know, add into the mix, but there's still ways to make tweaks that are, can be exciting and, and, um, and, and for the better. So we'll just kind of see what, what they have in store for us for the second half. All right. Thank you guys for joining uh, me today and sharing all that about, uh, the first, 50 plus games of the season and, and your thoughts and uh, your feelings going forward. Uh, do you want to go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter? Um, and we'll close it out. I am at Megalu2U, M E G A L U T O U on Twitter. And um, I'm also in the Cowbell Talk space after games. And I have a spaces podcast as well that where we read books and talk about them once a month so if anyone has an interest in that that's pretty fun also and you can find me on twitter at uh trev cosi 23 
And you can also find me on Instagram if you want to. I'm there too. You can get some occasional puppy content. And if you're a Giants fan, definitely make sure you follow Trevor because that's he's where I get all my Giants news um, during the season. <laughs> so you get a two for one there. <laughs> yeah, I have my I have my little beam here it's, and I might be lighting it orange during baseball season. We'll see because the beam's going to get lonely in the off season. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys again for joining us and go Kings. Go Kings.